Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Hello and Happy New Year, though my optimistic feeling over the first few days of the year has been dented by news of escalating Covid infections here in the UK and hearing about the riots in Washington and arrests of democracy activists in Hong Kong. So I hope you and yours are staying safe and sane. We start the year with episode 44 and our conversation today is with Tamsin Chislett, co-founder of fashion subscription startup OnLoan, which has grown strongly this year despite the lockdown and is now working with 25 fashion brands. We'll find out why fashion subscription works so well for the customer and the brands, why OnLoan's customer base doesn't fit typical demographics, and how Tamsin convinced those first few brands to come on board. Have a listen and I'll catch up with you afterwards. In today's episode, we talk to Tamsin Chislett and find out how she started OnLoan, a fashion rental subscription service. OnLoan is a bit different to other UK fashion rental options because it partners directly with top contemporary fashion brands and it focuses on elevated day wear rather than occasion wear. OnLoan's also different because it does all its, all its garment care and logistics in-house. OnLoan offers its customers a way to enjoy all the newness and variety of fast fashion, but without the waste and with much better clothes. Tamsin and her co-founder Natalie say they're inspired by past decades where clothes were less disposable, more fun and better made. When fashion was truly enjoyed, not consumed. Before on loan, Tamsin worked in strategy consulting, in investment and for a Ugandan cotton factory, which secured the first fair trade cotton certificate in East Africa. Tamsin, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to finding out more about on loan. And before we get into the why and how of on loan, let's do a quick bit of fashion jargon busting. What on earth is elevated day wear? <laughs> it's a very fair question. Um, so we use elevated day wear to describe all of the fun clothes that you might want to wear on a day to day basis. And the reason we talk about it is because fashion rental um, has a reputation for being all about event dressing. So historically, you might have rented a dress to wear to a wedding um, or to a friend's birthday. And yet what we're doing is making fashion rental relevant for every single day and uh, making it possible to rent any item that you don't think you're going to love forever. So instead of popping to Zara, buying something that you know you'll get bored of within a few weeks, we think you should rent it instead so that once you're bored of it, someone else can enjoy it after you. Brilliant. And we might come back to some of that um, later when we um, uh, hopefully get time to talk about what's happened during lockdown and how that's affected the two markets. So what kind of people choose rental subscription models for fashion and, and why? 
We have a really diverse range of customers. So um, really diverse in terms of age. We've got, um, you know, customers pretty much in every decade. We've got mothers and daughters who both rent. Um, we've got customers all over the country. So we have some in the Isle of Wight and Aberdeen. Um, we now ship to Ireland. Um, and also really diverse in terms of vocation. So you know, lots of them are professionals um, or creatives, um, but a real mix. What we found is the unifying factor amongst all of them is, is a mindset about fashion. So you have to love clothes to want to bother to rent them. Um, you know, it's not a service that is picked up by people who aren't interested in clothes or don't see it as an important part of their lives. Um, and for that segment of people, they're probably already more sustainable than most of us in many ways. Um, but once they, these people love fashion and they really want newness and variety and they want to try out new styles, but they're increasingly aware of the environmental impact of endlessly buying new stuff. And so it's really, it's a, it's a group of people who are kind of, early adopters, um, increasingly knowledgeable about the environment, love clothes, but really want a new way to access them that, that doesn't make them complicit with environmental damage. Mm. Excellent. That kind of shows your background, I guess, in, in um, investments and so on, in that you've really defined your, your niche market and sweet spot, haven't you, in terms of you know, what, exactly what they're looking for and what's driving them. So that yeah, that, that's uh, impressive. Yeah, we, we, thank you. Yeah, we, we did think that there'd be a sort of clearer demographic group that we would be going after. You know, I'm in my 30s, as is my co-founder, and we sort of assumed that women in their 30s with busy lives who were a bit fed up of the high street, wanted to graduate onto better brands but maybe couldn't afford to yet, we thought they would be our core customer. And it's actually been really nice to discover that it's a much bigger age range and um, diverse group of customers than that. And, and yeah, as I say, it's really the mindset that unifies people. Yeah, cool. that's, that's the word that was coming to, to my mind then was, um, you know, looking, looking for people with a mindset rather than trying to appeal to, as, as you said, an age group and so on. And I'm guessing that's starting to filter into a lot of different product ranges as well in, in terms of what people are looking for. You know, there's a lot of evidence to say that people are looking for the brands they... Um, uh, you know, kind of want want to spend their money with, and and um, th that they identify with. They want them to share val share values with the brand, and they want to mm. they want to partner with brands that are doing the right thing for planet and people, um, and have you know have the right kind of uh, ethos. So, and yeah, talking about other true. brands, you've you've partnered with quite a few different um, clothing brands. How did those early pitches go? Um, and how did you convince them to let them, um, you know, to, to give you clothes that they, they, they could sell instead? You know, what, how did that work? Yeah, they were a real, um, a real mixed bag at the beginning. So our philosophy from the get-go was that we had to have the best clothes, that in order to convince people to switch their habits from, um, you know, buying fast fashion, which is so easy and so fashion-forward in the UK, um, then we really needed to have the best of the best designers working with us um, so we could just offer a great product. You know, I still think it's true that no matter how interested and excited people get about being more environmentally sustainable, they still ultimately just want a great product, first and foremost. So nailing those designer partners was a top priority. Um, when we did the very first pitches, we didn't actually really have anything to show for ourselves. So we 
we're very fortunate to get um, a first meeting with a brand called Alexa Chung. Um, I uh, essentially cornered their MD at a dinner that I managed to get into and begged him for a meeting and we got one. And we spoke to them before we had anything. So we didn't, we didn't have any money to spend on clothes. We didn't have a website. We didn't, I think we had a name, maybe. Um, not much of a strategy, but we just knew rental was going to be big. And we knew that we were, you know, between myself and Natalie, my co-founder, we had skill set to kind of make the most of it. And so we, um, yeah, we gave them the hard sell on how important it was going to be as part of the fashion industry. And very fortunately, they agreed to be our partner. Um, and from there, it just sort of snowballed. So we um, we then went to Paris on our first buying trip, met with about 10 different brands. And I think came home with partnerships with maybe six or seven of them. Um, and it tended to be, so brands that were sustainability minded got it straight away. You know, in a way, they were already looking for routes to um, to serve customers up with their really amazing, great clothes, but without having to force them down that route of buying, wearing a few times, and then letting it sit in the back of your wardrobe. Um, so the sustainability guys got it. And then for other brands, they got excited about it as a, as a marketing channel. So they, they understood that Rental is a really great way for people to try out new brands that they haven't tried before. And they don't really, you know, they're not going to commit to because the price point's quite high. And so, um, yeah, a lot of brands saw it as just a great opportunity to get their clothes out there being experienced by people. Mm. Um, and then, of course, we had some that were, were slower movers, let's say, <laughs> who were hesitant um, for a couple of reasons, partly because they were worried that rental would cannibalize sales. So, you know, if somebody could rent the dress, why would they buy it? Is their sort of thinking, um, you know, our argument is always, well, actually, they're not going to buy it anyway. They're going to buy a dress in Zara. So you might as well try and rent them your dress, which is much better quality instead. Um, and some of them were hesitant just because we were young and new and probably realized at that point that we didn't have a large checkbook. <laughs> and um, but I actually I'm sure we'll talk in a minute about COVID and how things have changed. But the conversation we've been having with brands has changed so much over the last 12 months. And now I think every fashion brand realizes that rental is going to be part of the future of the industry. And every single fashion brand is trying to work out the best way to get involved. And so we, we now work with lots of the dream designers that we'd really hope to and are kind of adding, continuing adding more to the list. So it's got a lot easier. Brilliant. So you've made loads of progress then since that first first pitch when um, with no money and maybe not even a, a brand name. And so... Um, <laughs> How is on loan different to other fashion rental companies? Because there are a few independents out there, aren't there, renting, renting other brands' clothes. How is it different? Yeah, there are a few. It's been amazing um, to see how many have sprung up in the last 18 months. I think, I guess it's always good as an entrepreneur to, to watch lots of versions of your model um, pop up at the same time. It means you're onto something. Also a little scary at times, but, but definitely a, a net positive. Um, so we're seeing a lot of businesses spring up that, are, that aren't focused on that phrase elevated daywear. They're more focused on you know, one-off party dresses, which we think is great and, and is a really important part of the market. But you know, we, want to, we essentially want to you know, convert every Zara purchase into a rented purchase or every and other stories purchase. And so we're, we're thinking really broadly about the categories that we offer. Our most rented category this last month, possibly no surprise, was knitwear. We've done a roaring trade in just really fun cardigans and sweaters, which kind of fits the work from home, Zoom, winter, but at least fun and, you know, a fun pick me up sort of vibe. Um, so that's one thing. Another is that we have gone after, as I say, the very best 
contemporary brands. And that's taken us maybe a little longer to persuade them. Um, but we are, yeah, that conversation has been helped a lot by COVID and we are now um, working with our dream list, I'd say, and, and have many more in the works. Um, and then the other thing, as you mentioned at the beginning, was that we do all our own logistics. So we're the only UK rental business um, for women's fashion to take that on. And it's actually the part of the business that I'm most excited about. My co-founder's background is all fashion, but mine is not um, beyond working for a cotton ginnery, which is about as far from high street fashion as you can get. And um, But I'm really interested in operations and process. And, um, and I think, you know, you all know this better than anybody, but I think businesses that can build a capability around keeping assets in great condition are going to win over the next few decades because we all know we have to build a, a economic system where we we don't want to we don't necessarily want degrowth but we have to find a way to grow but with fewer actual physical resources and so businesses that can keep those resources in great condition and keep getting value out of them that's just going to be a really winning capability and so I love the part of the business where we're building up expertise about how to keep clothes in great nick um, we, you know, we do all the repairs in house. We do ninety percent of cleaning in house, and we'll do hundred percent before too long. Um, and we track the journey that every single garment goes on. So we're also collecting a lot of really interesting data about how different garments depreciate over time, um, and that helps us to become more efficient. But also, it's really interesting to share back with the brands because then, as they're designing their new collections, we can actually help inform which fabrics are gonna last, which embellishments work well and which don't, which fastenings work well and which don't. For a lot of the brands, they've never really had that data before. So um, yeah, it's a really exciting part of the business as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think that could be fantastic um, value adding information for those brands. Um, thinking back to um, uh, probably about um, 20 podcasts ago when I interviewed Eve Keke, uh, founder of Bundly, um, a babywear subscription rental and she was shocked to discover that even though she was buying you know high quality baby clothes to rent them out that they they weren't fit to be used again for the for the next baby even though they've only been worn for a few weeks um, and so she ended up having to get her own clothes made that would be good enough to yeah. you know do do several rounds and and still look um, you know not worn and not stained and and not falling apart at the seams and so on and I think certainly yeah, one, of, one of the messages that I um, talk about in, in, in the book and in my blogs and so on is that by building these longer term relationships with a customer because you're offering a, a, you know, a regular service, you've then got the opportunity to find out what's working, what's not working, which part wears out fastest and so on. Mm. Whereas when you, when you buy something, um, sometimes the you know the, the if the failure is just after the warranty's expired, how many people bother to actually complain to the brand? They might be really really cheesed yeah. off, and tell everybody how cheesed off they are and name the brand and so on, but they feel a bit helpless about what they can do, and so they don't bother, and that mm. negative vibe is is spreading out, but the brand can't yeah. can't even act on the information um in there so i think it's a you know it's it's a really interesting aspect you see regular retail companies that partner with our brands can only tell the brands how many of an item they they sell they, you know you call it a sell-through rate 
And so they'll know this cardigan sold more than this cardigan. They don't even know if a customer wore that cardigan. Like we've all bought items that then sit in a, in a wardrobe unworn. Everyone's done it. And, and the, the retailer can't even tell, tell the brand whether that item was actually popular once it got into a person's house. Whereas with rental, we get the item back after a month. So we can ask the customer all sorts about whether they actually wore it, what they wore it with, where they wore it to. Um, and then couple that with all the data we have about how well the garment lasted, what repairs it needs, what good condition it's in when we send it out the next time. That's just a wealth of data that the brands have never had. Mm. And I think as, um, as more and more customers are um, factoring in kind of how good quality a piece is and how long it will last into their buying decisions, the brands need this data. And yet it's really hard for them to get. And so, yeah, we're really excited about being able to offer it to mm. And as brands gear up to making products that last longer and can be reused and resold, so even if somebody does buy something, if they're thinking, well, if I only keep this for a year, it's still going to have some value, so I'll be able to sell it rather than just donate it at the end of that year, then that can tip, tip mm. the balance between buying that piece and, and not buying it. And so, and I'm, and I'm also thinking about um, a, uh, a paper I, I wrote back in the... Um, uh, the the mid eighties when I was working in fashion uh, about the future of the fashion industry uh, and so lots of mm. things were you know really three D printing you know nobody had ever heard of that and stuff in in the eighties wow. um, but there was this thing you know I'd got this thing about um, people being able to customize their garments to make them more individual and of course that's you know that's still a possibility and if you were renting something that had various customization options i remember there was a uh, a shoe concept it was a concept shoe a few years ago with different heels that you could put on and and you know different kind of decorative things but the rental option could allow you to ask people you know which of the accessories or the customization things they liked and didn't like and you know how well mm. did the whole concept work for them so it's just such a good way as you say to get feedback about kind of um, you know, new ways of thinking about design and, and so on and how to how to give people that buzz that they like of looking, um, you know, stylish and a bit different while still, yep. you know, sticking with their values of not just consuming mindlessly. Absolutely. We, we have a part of the business called On Loan Lab where we are... Um, we, we started it with actually a wholesale partner to the high street. They've spent the last couple of decades um, producing clothes for the high street and now kind of realizing that, that the high street um, is struggling and the demise of the high street is very much real. They are looking into building their own brand and they're actually using us as a way purely to get feedback. So they've, they, um, they've made new product there. They've given it to us on consignment and we loan it out. And every time we loan it out, we collect the feedback and they're using that directly to inform the brand and, and the designs that they're building. Um, so we'd love to do that with more, um, with more brands and it become another way of them making sure they're producing stuff people actually want as opposed to just producing what in a bubble they think might be good next season. Mm, mm. Yeah. And just to understand the subscription side of it a, a bit better, do people individually, you know, as, as individuals, do they pick what they want in the ne next subscription bundle or do you curate it for them or is it a mixture? Um, so they pick what they want from our site. 
Um, so we, we do see a big element of curation, but what we curate is what's available on the site. So we, we work with 25 brands. They're really carefully chosen to be what we call all killer, no filler. So, you know, we think every single one of them is brilliant. Um, and then even from within those brands' collections, we pick the pieces which we think will, will really stand out and a great quality and that our customer will enjoy. Um, but after that, it's up to the customer. So we can kind of cater for lots of different tastes. You know, we have customers who are very minimalist style or very feminine style or, you know, others who love print and colour and they can just choose the pieces that they want um, month on month. Mm. And I think that is appealing for customers too. I remember a while ago I was looking for something on uh, the Vestiaire site. It was my first kind of, you know, <laughs> adventure into there, having, having known about it from a circular economy example point of view. Um, but I was thinking, oh, you know, um, I think somebody had done a, a piece on the timeless Chanel jacket or something. I was thinking, oh, yeah, that could work for, um, you know, webinars and things like that. So um, I was having a look and I was just daunted by the sheer number because obviously it's a jacket yeah. that's been going for years. Um, and I ended up thinking I could spend hours on here trying to find the one that's actually right for me. So I think, you know, from my point of view, certainly less choice and choice that kind of, you know, fits a certain style makes it a lot more convenient for people, doesn't it? People don't want to spend hours surfing the net, you know, and, and trying to That's, choose between yeah. 20 very similar things. Com completely agree. I think Amazon um, tricked us all into thinking that endless choice is the number one thing that we wanted. And it's not true. Um, you know, endless studies show that actually limited choices make you happier. Mm. Um, and and yes, yeah, so we actually really pride ourselves in doing a bit of the curation. You know, we still want to provide a, an interesting variety, but you shouldn't have to scroll through pages and pages. You should you should feel spoiled for choice because every single item on there is is great, and that's what we're aiming for. Mm, excellent. And how how have things um, held up during lockdown? What's happened to the business through that period? Yeah, I mean it's been a pretty crazy year to have for everybody. Um, so we we kind of launched last September. So we had six months run I'd say before lockdown happened and we were doing really well we were growing 25 30% month on month um we were, yeah we grew again in February and then March hit and actually March was okay I think partly because we were subscription people sort of slowed to act but April and May we we lost quite a few of our customers I think we went down about 40% so um that's a pretty rough thing for a young business to go through, <laughs> just in terms of the mental load on myself and my co-founder. You know, it's, we, we sort of started celebrating not shrinking too much as a business, which just felt really odd. Um, in retrospect, we actually, I think, did do really well. We kept 60% of our customers, which is astounding, really, given they were renting despite not leaving the house. It was kind of testament to how much they were enjoying the clothes, that they were just wearing them in their living rooms. Um, but it was, it was a really tough experience. Um, uh, when lockdown started easing in June, we started growing again. And then September was a really, really big month for us. And I'm very happy to say October was bigger than February. So we have more than come back to where we were pre-pandemic um, starting, despite the fact that, I mean, in October, most of the country was under some version of lockdown. Um, so it's been a bit of an of a emotional journey, um, but a really interesting one too. So one of the cool things about rental is that you, um, you get to track your customer's mood very closely. No one rents for 
uh, later date or for a rainy day. So if somebody is renting something, it's because they want to wear it immediately. And what that means is you actually get to see how your customer group is feeling on a sort of almost day-to-day basis. So when lockdown first hit, we immediately uh, went out of stock of everything soft. All of our most tactile, um, soft and comforting fabrics went out the door. And it really felt like people were reaching for comfort because it was a really scary time and everyone just wanted to feel cozy and warm and protected. And so we rented the kind of clothes that did that. And then like two weeks in, two, three weeks in, people settled into the Zoom meetings a bit and we started renting, as everybody's now talked about, the Zoom-worthy tops. So any tops with a big collar or pretty embroidery or great embellishments. And then like maybe a month or six weeks into the first lockdown, we started renting some of our most outlandish pieces. They're really fabulous dresses, um, you know, party dresses or backless dresses or dresses with cutouts. And honestly, we were sat here thinking like, what is going on? What, what social life does everybody have that we are not privy to? Why are we not invited? And um, so we asked a lot of our customers. And what was really great to hear was they were, they were fed up. You know, everyone was sort of miserable at this point had settled into the new normal, but wasn't really enjoying it and saw wearing great clothes as just a really fun way to cheer themselves up and were wearing the clothes that they wanted to wear without having to think about any of the constraints of normal life. So they didn't have to worry about whether it was appropriate for the school run or whether they were going to get wolf whistled at on the tube or, or whether it was really too short for, for whatever age they were. Um, they just rented it and enjoyed it. And that was such a nice thing to be part of because you know, everyone was in that moment where we needed joy and we were able to provide some of that. So, yeah, it was a hectic year, but also like a very um, special time in terms of getting to know our customers better and, and kind of honing the business towards them. Yeah, that sounds absolutely kind of mind blowing in terms of the, you know, the shift in moods and then how quickly you would have to respond to get more of the right kind of stock in and the variety of the um, you know, the, the kind of look and feel just through that short six month period of going from, you know, comfort to then, you know, then through outlandish, you know, how, how on earth do you uh, kind of second guess that? There must be, you must be looking at <laughs> things thinking, well, this is just some random outlier. Um, and then you realise that, you know, now it's a sort of growing trend and what do we do about this? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the tr- one of the trickiest things about being a young rental business is having enough depth in the pieces that suddenly become hit pieces. So we had a slightly ridiculous leopard print wrap dress with marabou feather sleeves. And we had four pieces, you know, just four units of it. And they all got rented out all of a sudden one week. And we were like, this is really odd. Again, ask the customers. And it was when, um, what's it called? Tiger King? was all the rage and everyone was sat at home on Netflix watching Tiger King being (laughs) Carol Baskin and basically people had rented this dress just to watch Tiger King and yeah that kind of stuff is pretty hard to predict (laughs) Um, and you're also not sure whether you should buy any more depth in that slightly crazy dress because perhaps that was a one-week moment Um, but yeah we're still we're still figuring out all of that it's definitely a, a tough part of the business. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking back to my days of um, demand forecasting, which was for breakfast cereals. And, uh, you know, I thought wow. that was complicated <laughs> enough having to having to forecast whatever it was, 20, 20 brands and look at the cannibalisation between them. And uh, But, yeah, the, the, the thought of having to judge what's suddenly gone, gone, 
you know, viral about a leopard's leopard skin print dress and yeah. whether to get any more in. So um, yeah, tricky I, one. I think the thing, <laughs> I think the thing that saves us with rental is people's attitude towards it is is quite flexible by its nature. You know, one of the main reasons people rent is because you aren't committing to that item. So people really love that aspect of rental that they, you know, maybe maybe you've never worn purple or something and suddenly you don't want to buy a purple item because you think it doesn't suit you but you can rent it knowing you'll send it back at the end of the month and um, that makes people a lot more sort of light-hearted and flexible about their choices perhaps more so than whether they desperately want Weetabix I don't know so that might be that might be what saves yeah, us yeah. I think yeah no it was it was Kellogg's not Weetabix Weetabix were our you know <laughs> <laughs> number one rivals um, right <laughs> Yeah, but I think that brings up another point, doesn't it, about the attraction of the rental option for the brands, because if people are able to try brands that they wouldn't perhaps have invested in a whole, you know, a whole outfit from or even a single piece, but they realise that, you know, this looks really good on me, it it wears well, it's easy to care for, I always feel good in it, then that's much more likely to drive them towards, you know, buying longer term pieces um, from that same brand so it you know it it, it can only Absolutely. send the brands in the right direction can't it in terms of making high quality durable pieces that you know somebody's put the time and effort into making it fit well and and um, uh, you know hang nicely and so on that's yeah definitely true I mean I, I feel completely ruined I was very much a high street shopper for years um, not not really a sort of shopaholic I'd really um you know, really avoided buying too much over the past few years. But if I did buy anything, it was from the high street. And now that I've experienced uh, the next level up, these contemporary brands and the quality of the fabrics and the design and the shapes, I can't really go back. <laughs> so on then has to keep existing, otherwise I won't be able to afford a wardrobe anymore. But um, once you, yeah, once you've experienced just that next level of quality, it's really hard to go into Zara and, and feel the throwaway quality again. Mm. Yeah, it's that kind of... Uh... Um, the psychology of loss isn't it which which features more strongly apparently in our psyche than uh, the psychology of potential gain so Tamsin what's what looking back on on the um, the year and a bit since you started up and obviously the all the preparation that went into it what would you share as a top tip for anybody else looking to start a circular business Um, I think my top tip would be, I think, I think I would look across the whole business and try to make, try to make small steps across the whole business. Um, so, you know, I'm a real believer that you can't do everything at once and that businesses that aren't hitting every single, um, you know, environmental or social impact point from the first day, um, that's okay because getting a business off the ground is really, really, really hard, um, even without a global pandemic on top of you. Um, and and so a lot of the decisions you want to make, you know, the kind of business you want to end up building, um, they have to come in time. Having said that, what we've really benefited from is trying to do a little thing across every part of the business from the start. And that's that kind of tells the customer the direction that we're going in. And, we, you know, customers are are increasingly values driven they do want to work with businesses that they think care they really want businesses that are honest about where they are now versus where they hope to get to um and i think if you can fulfill that you build a really loyal customer base so you know an example for us is um 
we we use reusable packaging. So we use repacks and the garments go out in repacks and the customers keep them for the month and then they send them back to us. And repacks aren't perfect. You know, they're, they're still predominantly made out of plastic. We're not entirely sure what happens to them at the end because we, we um, you know, we keep them mostly in the building. Um, but it's it's a step and it's a step in the right direction. And we get such great customer feedback for kind of incorporating that and introducing them to the concept of reusable packaging. And so it's it, to me, it's making a lot of small steps a, a, throughout the whole business that signify your intent and then making sure you're making progress over time. And mm. that's, I think, the best thing you can do. Yeah, I like that approach. I think I think you're right. And that's similar to the approach that Patagonia take, which is to say up front that no business is, is sustainable at the moment. So they're not putting themselves out there as perfect, but they keep on trying to improve on all the things that they're doing. And they're also very honest when they uncover something that, you know, isn't right um, or, you know, um, science discovers that now this this particular chemical is is hazardous or you know or toxic in some way um mm. you know deal with it then um and to to quote um mcdonough and Braungart, it's kind of negligence starts tomorrow once you know something then you need to act on it yes. but you know there's so much stuff that we don't know um, that you that you can't act on so mm-hmm. um and who would you recommend as a future guest for the podcast somebody involved in the circular economy um, so I will keep it within the world of clothing rental um, and recommend Charlotte Morley, who is the CEO and founder of The Little Loop. Um, so you mentioned Bundly earlier. I'm a, I'm a very happy Bundly customer for my baby, but I'm also a very happy Little Loop customer for my three-year-old. And I love the fact that I don't have to buy new clothes for my kids ever again. Sounds great. Right. I shall look up charlotte and the little loop sounds good and tamsin how can people get in touch and find out more about you and on loan so you can find us online at onloan.co um, or the brand on instagram at onloan.co or i'm on twitter at tamsin chislet excellent thank you tamsin that's been really interesting lots of stuff that i hadn't even considered particularly um, the vagaries of watching TV and then choosing your choose or seeing what's on TV and then choosing your dress to um, <laughs> to coordinate with the programme. Thank you very much and best of luck as we start to work out how to live with COVID-19. Uh, I'm sure there are interesting but hopefully prosperous times ahead for you and the on-loan team. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. There were so many great takeaways from that conversation with Tamsin. What OnLoan discovered about their customer base was fascinating. There's no age or other demographic profile, nor does it seem to relate to lifestyle factors. Instead, it's what's called psychographics, things like values, attitudes, belief systems and pain points. Those customers want to be stylish without contributing to exploitation, waste, pollution and excessive consumption. Rental and subscriptions help you build long-term, deeper relationships with your customers, and that can give you insights that you couldn't buy. Tamsin used that in pitches to marketing leaders, helping them see rental as a way to engage with potential new customers. I emphasise this with the people I coach. You can find out how the product's working for your customer, what wears out or doesn't perform well, how customers use and engage with it, and so much more. 
regular touch points with each customer help build rich relationships and trust with your brand. For partners and suppliers, look for common ground. Tamsin started with brands already focused on improving their sustainability. OnLoan's decision to keep its logistics and services in-house is also interesting. Greg Lavery, who we heard from in episode 33, told us how vertical supply chain integration is helping Ripe Office develop a more compelling and value-adding offer. By doing its own returns, repairs, cleaning and dispatch, OnLoan again gets to understand more about what works and what doesn't work so well, and crucially can pass this information through to the clothing brands it works with. Suddenly, those brands have a feedback loop that helps them improve quality, wearability and durability in their future designs. Tamsin's advice to other circular economy businesses is to take small steps on sustainability across the whole business and let your customers know what you're doing and what progress you're making. Those customers want to see you keep moving forward and raising the bar higher. It's important to be honest about what you've improved and what you now realise is problematic. I'm convinced there's massive potential for rental across clothing and other sectors. It taps into people's desire to waste less and consume less, yet still have access to exciting, stylish, rewarding products. People can experiment with different styles and new brands. With OnLoan, Customers discovered that higher quality brands offer more wearable, well-made and better quality clothes, often with higher ethical standards. As Tamsin said, Amazon tricked us all into thinking that endless choice is the number one thing that we wanted. And yet studies show that actually limited choices make you happier. Tamsin believes that you shouldn't have to scroll through pages and pages but you should feel spoilt for choice because every single item on the website is great. That's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you use circular, sustainable approaches to make a better world for people, planet and your business. Get in touch via the website or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. Make sure you get the edition with the orange cover, which has a new chapter on packaging, lots of extra examples and updated research in every chapter. You can find resources and links mentioned in today's episode, as well as a transcript of the conversation at rethinkglobal.info, where you can find out how we help you succeed with Circular. Circular.